0: Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Cool. Uh, we're in the middle of a series now uh, on prayer, and the heart of the series is Uh, a look at the Lord's Prayer, uh, what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, embedded in the middle of the Beatitudes. Uh, So we're going to talk about that in just a moment, but I thought obviously it makes sense for us to pray this a couple of times through the process. So we'll pray it again at the end, but we'll pray it now as well, Um, and then we'll, we'll chat about it. So let's just say this very familiar prayer together again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Cool, so we're going to uh, talk about prayer and what a time to do it. Uh, in a period um, in our history when there is so much that is unknown, when there is so much that is uncertain, uh, when there is so much that is fearful, uh, when there is so much that is uh, disunified, that is argued about, that is fought about. If you look at your social media feeds at all, you see this incredible uh, tension, this incredible uh, culture war going on that we're embedded in the middle of it, and Uh, we want to be able to be people who stand in the middle of a tornado like this, in the middle of a storm like this, and be intimately connected to our Father, to be intimately connected to God and who He is, that... uh, So that when the wind blows, that when the waves crash, that when all of this goes on around us, that we will be uh, people who are grounded firmly uh, with our feet on the rock. And the only way that I can see to be people who are connected and still and solid and at peace in the midst of a storm like this is to be people of prayer, people who are connected uh, to the person and the presence of God. Uh, so we talked about prayer last week and wrestled with some of the difficult questions uh, around it. Uh, the thought that we ended with was this, though, is that prayer is not something that you either can do or can't do. It is something uh, that you learn. The idea is, is that many of us have all kinds of different struggles with prayer and with uh, wondering how to pray and with uh, you know philosophical issues around prayer. Uh, but we can just take a deep breath and sort of pause and just sort of say, hey, I don't have to necessarily start this journey of prayer or continue on it, feeling like I, I I know how to do it or I need to know how to do it or being frustrated that I don't know how to do it because Jesus is really passionate about teaching me how to do it. He's passionate about teaching you how to do it. And so at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew uh, chapter 6, He says, uh, This then is how you should pray. And you just want to note right there that's not, this then is what you should pray. We've prayed this prayer by road. We've prayed it a million times for those of us who are old enough to have prayed it in school. Um, So he's given us a prayer, but he didn't just give us a new prayer to pray, a new prayer to repeat, a new prayer to memorize, Uh, what He's really doing uh, when He's teaching us to pray is He's giving us a new paradigm for prayer a new way of seeing prayer that was uh, revolutionary in its context in the ancient world. And actually, even though it's so very familiar to us, I think it is actually meant to revolutionize us. It's meant to uh, give us a completely new paradigm for understanding uh, how to pray. Again, not just what to pray, but how to pray. It's meant to change uh, our perspective when we go into an atmosphere of prayer. I just want to talk about this, a paradigm shift for a moment, because it really is, I think what Jesus is giving us, really is a fundamental change in approach Or a fundamental change in our underlying assumptions about prayer. So that's how we're going to look at it this week. We're going to look at what the introduction to prayer, just Jesus's uh, few words at the beginning, our Father in heaven, that's all we're going to talk about today. But those words, that sentence, is a paradigm shift. It's the introduction, it's the approach to prayer, it's the uh, salutation in the letter. but that itself changes the whole rest of the game as we're going to go through in subsequent weeks. So we want to look at it this way. Uh, the image you're seeing on your screen is that of a free diver. and a free diver says, uh, says this is just a quote from a free diver it says, "When we go underwater, this is somebody who goes underwater like without scuba and all that, they just go and enjoy the silence and hold their breath for a really long time and it's insane. It's crazy. Uh, but a, a famous free dri- diver said this said, "When we go underwater, we are not drowning." We have simply gone from a place where we can breathe but can't fly to underwater, a place where we can fly but not breathe. All we need is the confidence and training to hold our breath. I love that. I love that as an idea around prayer for us. Uh, prayer is entering into a different space, a different world with God. And we might at times feel like that world is terrifying. Uh, we feel like where we are right now, maybe we can't fly, but we can we can breathe, we're okay. Uh, to go into a place of prayer is maybe intimidating, it feels maybe lonely, it feels maybe, I don't know what it feels like, but it's strange to go into that place of prayer. But to take that sense of strangeness away and to say, hey, wait a minute, no, no, this is a place where I can fly. I just have to stay here for a while. This is a place where I can move in my relationship with God and move in interaction with the Holy Spirit in a new and powerful way that I haven't understood or experienced before. So we want to understand prayer through this new lens that Jesus gives us, and find a place of freedom and connection and relationship with him that we otherwise might find hard to experience. So that's what we're really talking about today is this paradigm shift. Um, The context of that uh, teaching to prayer is Jesus contrasting prayer between pagan prayer and... um, Uh, Christian prayer, or the prayer that he ultimately wants us to have. So just to back up a little bit to verse 7, he says this, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how he should pray. So this is how Jesus introduces the subject to his disciples. Uh, the first thing that we want to really see there uh, is that the the pagan idea of prayer is more like lobbying than what we are supposed to consider praying. Uh, a, A pagan, and when we think of pagan, we think of somebody who's just like a bad person doing bad stuff all the time, but pagans in Jesus' time and culture were people who actively worshipped idols and actively worshipped other gods. But the idea was is that you had to make enough sacrifice, you had to say enough words, you had to do enough religious stuff to get those gods to notice you, to see you, to hear you, and to get them to do what you want them to do. Now, if we're honest, many times as Christians we pray like pagans. Many times as Christians, we pray like we are trying so hard to get God to notice us. Like, hey, God, over here, do you see me? Do you see what's going on here? I have so much need. I don't know what to do. Like, God, can you? are you even paying attention? And we see that kind of prayer in the Psalms. We see that honest, honesty. In the, and that's sort of a good part of what we do to even be in that place of expressing it. But Jesus comes into the New Testament and says, hey, there is a different way for you to pray. You can pray with the assumption that your God notices you. You can pray with the assumption that your God sees you. You don't have to come with the anxiety of wondering if he knows your need because he already does. And that just changes the game for us. It, it shows that we are not in a relationship that is uh, based on commerce. We're not in a relationship that is based on like kind of a business relationship, like you would talk about trying to get a letter uh, to a CEO of a large company to try to get them to do something for you. You're in a relationship that's a, a family relationship. I remember one time when I was, uh, I was in my... Uh, well, we were living in Saint Stephen, New Brunswick. I guess I was in the late 20s at the time, and uh, I don't know. This is probably the only time I've ever written a letter to a CEO of a company, and it's absolutely preposterous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But this is what I did: uh, the local Tim Hortons in Saint Stephen, New Brunswick. Um, and some of you have heard me tell this story. Is uh, you know, great little town Tim Hortons store. Um, no Equator Coffee near there, so you know we didn't have that option. Um, but we i went in there and there were no blueberry fritters and back then blueberry fritters were the thing we traveled all the way across the country uh stopping in all these tim hortons you know fueling up with the caffeine as we made our move to st stephen and arrived to st stephen which had a sign outside the town that said this is the blueberry capital of the world and we went and that was the only tim hortons we visited that didn't have the blueberry fritter I was, of course, deeply offended, uh, as as I should have been. This was a really good thing to be on my heart. And so my, uh, my way of dealing with this was I wrote a letter to the CEO of Tim Hortons. And when I'm writing a letter like that, you're trying to, like, this person doesn't know you. They're far away. They're in southern Ontario. You're one of a bazillion customers. And you have to somehow get their attention and get them to hear your plea that you could Please, please, in your local community, have a blueberry fritter. Uh, and, you know, I actually managed to do it. I managed to get them to send a supervisor to come and talk to the manager and our local Tim Hortons and actually get them to start making the blueberry fritter. So it was a successful mission. But it was a mission to a distant person across miles, across uh, a corporate bureaucracy uh with no intimacy no trust no relationship uh the end result of that kind of lobbying type interaction is a very low level of actual exchange in fact i had anticipated that tim hortons would send me some sort of gift certificate so that i could have free coffee for a month or something because i've been so deeply wounded by their company Uh, but they didn't they just fixed the blueberry fritter problem right again this is all just ridiculous but this is what i did so what can i say shame on me but um they, uh, The reality is, is that it was an enormous amount of effort for a very small amount of exchange, a small amount of relationship, a small depth of conversation, a small uh, change in my circumstance. We're just not to see prayer with God that way. It's not lobbying. Uh, we are looking to make a shift from lobbying to loving. We're making a shift from something that is happening Uh, is not a corporate thing. This is something that is happening within the family business. This is something that is much more intimate than we could imagine. And that means our effort in prayer isn't expended in getting God to hear us. It isn't expended to manipulate Him, to get Him to do the stuff that we want. The basis of the approach is mutual connection, mutual commitment that is already known, that is pre-established. And ultimately, uh, the assumption is is that God benefits something from this call to call us to pray, and we benefit something from this call to pray. And I think the generosity is much more on his side than ours, obviously. And so we want to be people who are coming in and allowing our paradigm to be shifted to realize just simply at this stage in Jesus' teaching we are not to be babbling like pagans. We are not to be uh, manipulating him. We are not to be fighting to get his attention. We can assume we have that. In fact, it would—I I would guess it would offend his heart a little bit. In fact, I felt a few times that when I've been grouching at him and complaining at him a little bit, he's he sort of gently and kindly said, hey, I, I hear you. I know you. I, I love you. And it's been something that's calmed and and stilled my heart. Um, So we want to see that circle tightened, that understanding of what our relationship to God is tightened. And as we go on, uh, we see that that is the image that Jesus continues with. Uh, When he does teach us how to pray, he starts with this uh, prayer, our Father in heaven. And for the first time in studying this, uh, and I've looked at the Lord's Prayer a number of times over the years, I really noticed the word our It's not my Father in heaven. Prayer for us has so often been a very individualistic thing. It's been a very me-centered thing. I go off alone into uh, this space where I am by myself, and I am bringing the depths of my heart and my concern to God, and that is uh, absolutely what it is. But this prayer starts with an acknowledgement that we are doing that, bringing those personal things that are on our heart to God alongside all of our brothers and sisters that are doing the same. So not only is it a family business, but it's a family business where uh, we are not only children. We are not the only ones who are coming before the Lord. And we see this actually in God's perspective on prayer. We just, just revealed in just a tiny little verse in the book of Revelation. It says this, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God. So he does hear us individually, but he also hears us corporately. He also hears all of our prayers at OVV in our church as we pray for different things, different struggles, different challenges, different wrestlings, different requests, uh, different worship, different praise, all of our different perspectives that somehow between uh, our different smoke emitters, I guess, that we all are, all the different sensors that we carry in our different homes and our different spaces, there's a way in which by the time that smoke comes uh, into heaven, into that space of God hearing it, he in his infinite capacity to understand and untangle our confusing stories hears all of that as one. So there's something really beautiful in that. So uh, prayer has often felt like a lonely thing, like a going into the closet thing, like a a man, I've got to just, you know, not turn off my phone, which I do. I've got to get into the closet. I've got to get on my knees. I've got to close my eyes kind of a thing. So in that sense, uh, I often uh, pray by myself and you often pray by yourself, but you are never actually praying alone. You may pray by yourself all the time, but you are never actually praying alone. You're praying with your siblings. Uh, And we see that uh, not only do we pray with our siblings, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we pray with Jesus as our sibling. Uh, We look at this in Romans chapter 8.29, Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And so not only uh, do we pray with our siblings, not only do I pray with you, but there is a, a way in which Jesus comes, and we see this reflected in Hebrews, as our brother, as our intercessor that sits beside the throne of the Father, and we have interaction with Him, and He is present to us, and His Spirit is present to us as we pray. And we don't want to get into any weird theology and talking about modalism or any of that sort of stuff. We understand the Trinity for what it is, where we are, you know, God doesn't, seem to need the mail addressed exactly to the right person in the Trinity. I think he untangles it and figures it out, so we're not going to worry about it too much. But uh, the idea is is that we are praying as a part of the community of brothers and sisters, including Christ. So it's, uh, it, it's a very uh, powerful way of belonging, even though we actually sometimes are praying by ourselves. So we should let that draw us to prayer. Uh, It says this in Romans 8, 29, or sorry, a little bit later in Romans 8, I think it's 34, Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God also interceding for us. Yeah, so that piece of intercession also shows up in in Romans uh, within the context of us understanding him as a brother. And so one prayer is meant to heal our loneliness. Um it's a place of belonging, it's a place of communion, it's a place of community. So if you're repelled by the sense of isolation in it, um, know that when you pray that you're praying with me and you're praying with... uh, all of our brothers and sisters. And and I think there's just huge value, and I don't think we just do this enough when we're together with our friends. It's just to pray as friends, pray when we're having a cup of coffee, pray when we're on the phone, pray whenever, but to let our lives be full of prayer in our interaction when we're in groups together. Um, yeah, so Jesus means for you uh, to see yourself as a we, and not just to be self-aware. So it, cha- it heals our loneliness in a sense, but uh, it also does something to our uh, selfishness. Prayer uh, is meant to challenge our selfishness too, if we understand that we're praying to not just my Father, but to our Father. Uh, when you're praying for God to intervene in your life, and to make a difference in your life and to impact your life and to change your life and to change your circumstances or whatever it is that you're praying for you're asking him to change your life in a way that will not just benefit you but benefit your brothers and sisters in fact often the prayers we pray are are very self-oriented or very selfish and we're actually praying things that sometimes we know might if they came true hurt our brothers and sisters So we're called to pray with a consciousness of the needs of the family a consciousness of our identity as part of God's family. So we pray from, uh, shift our paradigm from praying alone to praying alongside. Again, we are not only children. So practically that means uh, I've been trying to pray uh, that way over since I started studying this and really noticed that hour in the Lord's Prayer. And so my personal prayers uh, have started a little bit more frequently with, Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for OVV. Uh, Thank you for your son, Jesus who uh, has amazingly and powerfully entered into our journey as a church and as a community. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would hear and answer this prayer, not just according to my own wants, not just according to my own needs, not just according to my selfishness, to what I think I see inside myself, but would you answer my prayers and hear me uh, as part of a body? And would you bless me, Lord, with only what blesses others? And would you um, not bless me in any way that that hurts? Another person, would you untangle all of that for me? I recognize I'm part of a body, and so my prayers uh, have been taking that tone a little bit uh, lately. And that for me, and I hope for you, I think it will be a paradigm shift to see your prayers as not being alone but alongside. The next word that Jesus uses there is Father, He is a Father, Uh, and in that, He intends, I think, to shift our paradigm to balance out our understanding of his affection and his authority. It's going to take a second to unpack that, so hang with me. Uh, The images that you see on the screen are images from the story of Abraham. It would have been impossible uh, for uh, the Jewish people who heard Jesus teaching them how to pray, saying, our Father in heaven, to not be thinking of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their relationship with their Heavenly Father, and what they were as fathers to the community of Israel. The image of fatherhood is uh, is very, very powerful in the Old Testament. Uh, I want to put a pin in that for just a second and hope that we can um, Just brush past the idea that um, for many of us to consider God a father and that image of God as father can actually uh, be a little bit painful, it can actually be a little bit challenging. We can have uh, a real wrestle uh, in that because some of us haven't had good earthly fathers, we haven't had kind earthly fathers. So what we want to do is sort of step past our own ideas of what a father is and begin to see um, who God is as a father and what is revealed to us in the scripture about the fatherhood of God. The other problem is, is that this idea of a father or of a patriarch, uh, these are dirty words now. Our patriarch is a dirty word in our society. Um, uh, if you've been to university or if you've, uh, you know, listened to things in popular culture now. But what we want to do is we want to let our idea of what patriarch is, not be defined by our culture, but be defined by the scriptures. And I think if we allow ourselves to do that, we can actually see something really beautiful in God's ideas of what a father is to be. And so we want to take these two things. Uh, From the story of Abraham, we have this uh, guy who desperately wants a child, desperately wants a son, and clearly loves and adores him. So there's that adoration, that affection, that fatherly love that is a part of our understanding of who God is when we come into prayer and part of our experience. But the other part that is almost de-emphasized now in uh, our Christian culture, maybe if you're new to Christian culture, you wouldn't feel that, but for those of us who've been in church cultures for the last 20 years, uh, that idea of an affectionate, loving father has uh, really uh, taken hold. that has been a beautiful addition to our understanding of who God is, but maybe we've lost a little bit of our understanding of who God is as an authority. Uh, the Jewish reader hearing God say, Father, would also have immediately had the image of God uh, being someone Uh, who is the chief shepherd of a family of people who are nomads, who are wandering uh, out through uh, the wilderness, and like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were, and they were managing herds, and they had uh, collections of servants and sons, and, and those children were given responsibility to care for the sheep, and a father would say to a son, hey, why don't you go, we've got to move the sheep out of that pasture in the south, that pasture over there in the southeast, and we better do that soon because we're hitting the seas now where there are a lot of traders coming through close to the road we don't want our sheep close to the road because the traders you know could be stealing sheep or whatever it is like all of just the really practical things of managing these massive herds of sheep and managing the family that goes with it and the father the grandfather in those contexts would be this person of authority who makes those decisions in order to make this family business function well. And so we want to see both of those things in God as we come to a place of praying our Father. We want to see the incredible intimacy and the love and the affection and the beauty, those moments when God is holding us and caring for us. We want that in our hearts. And we also want to understand that he's an authority that we're coming into the tent and we're kneeling before him and we're saying, Hey God, what are our instructions? How do you want me to change my behavior? How do you want me to be a different person? And we are not meant to take those things and hold them against one another or to swing back and forth so much between one and the other, or to abandon one uh, to gain the other. Uh, We're meant to really hold them both. We're meant to see the affection and love of the father who is commanding us uh, to do as well. Um, So we see this actually in the book of Matthew In the story of the prodigal son There's this moment where this prodigal son Who's this uh, kid who's taken his inheritance early And he's spent it And he's uh, squandered it And he's had a miserable life And he comes back to the father And the father responds to the coming back of his son With this, and we can just read it here In Luke chapter 15 verse 20 But while he was still a long way off His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him And he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. So we see this incredibly affectionate image of the father. And a moment later, just a moment later, we see a little frustration in the older son uh, who is like, oh man, you're, you're loving on this guy, but what about me? I've done all this stuff for you. Look, all these years I've been working for you and never disobeyed your orders. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And we are both sons. We are both of these sons. We are the son who has come into the presence of God when we pray, and he is delighted to see us there. He runs to you when you come to pray. He wraps his arm around you. He holds you. He kisses you with love and affection, and he wants that relationship with you. And he also is the Father who has given you orders and given you instructions and said, hey, this is how we manage the sheep uh, today. And all these sheep are yours uh, as much as they are mine. Uh, This vocation that you have in the world uh, is, is right alongside with me. We are in a family business together. So we live with both this affection and with the authority. And we see this in Jesus all over the place. Uh, You know, uh, in Matthew, oh, how I've longed to gather you as a hen, longs to gather her chicks under her wings. That's the love of Jesus, passionate to gather his people. And then just like moments before that, uh, in the the story or a few days before that in the story, he's charging into the temple, uh, braiding a whip and driving out people saying, uh, hey, how dare you turn my house into a den of thieves? So he comes with correction, he comes with challenge, and he comes uh, commanding us to be certain ways and do certain things. And that in no way diminishes the incredible love and compassion and grace and affection that he has for you. So I really want to challenge you this morning. Maybe you grew up in a place where you know about God, the chief shepherd. You know about the orders. You know about the just the instructions. You know about uh, the reverence, the awe, the obedience. And that is something that is close to your heart. That's something about who you understand about who God is and this schmoopy love and affection stuff. Well, that's not for you. That's not your deal. That's like sloppy wet kiss songs from Bethel Music or Jesus Culture or whatever it is. Like, that's not my deal. Well, no, that God loves you passionately and affectionately. And when you come to pray, you are meant to experience his love and compassion. And if you know the God of the the sloppy wet kiss, you know the God of uh, the schmoopiness, the God of the affection, the God of the love, the God of the passion, and thank goodness that God loves you so much, he's never going to ask you to do something hard or difficult. He's never going to challenge you. He's never going to discipline you then you need to add to that image of the loving, passionate God, the image of God who is your chief shepherd and who is going to maybe challenge you to go into difficult places and challenge you to go into painful places and challenge you to grow in ways that you don't necessarily want to grow. You can't take one or the other, you take both. And when you take both, You get a God who can challenge you deeply, who can cause all kinds of pain in your life because he wants you to change in ways that you don't want to change. He wants you to go and suffer and serve and work for your family in ways that actually cost you something. You can go doing that. You can hear challenge. You can hear discipline from him because with that comes enormous love and affection and a kiss. and so important to be people who hold these two beautiful and powerful images of who God is uh, together. So our paradigm shift here is a paradigm shift from the idea of God's affection. Maybe that's where you are, or maybe you have the idea of God's authority. You're not supposed to have an or there. The paradigm shift for you is to have an and there. You're to be a person who experiences in prayer, the affection of God, and the authority of God to be loved and transformed in the same moment. So critical for us as people. And then the last idea, and I'm just gonna hit this quickly just for the sake of time, Um, our Father in heaven. And there are a lot of ways to understand that, but it's not meant to talk about where he is geographically in the cosmos. What it's meant to say is that he is on the seat of power. He is on the seat of authority. He is on the seat where uh, when you pray to him and his hand moves to act, powerful things happen. He is not an impotent God. He is not a distant God. He is not a weak God. He is not a small God. He is a powerful God. And he intends to bring forth his will on the earth with his might. And we get to be a part of it. And we can say a lot more about that, but we'll just let that go for this morning. So Jesus intends to shift our paradigm. In these ways, our prayer is meant to go from lobbying to loving. We are brought into an idea of prayer that is closer, is familial. Uh, We are to go from thinking of ourselves as being alone to seeing ourselves as being alongside. We are praying with our brothers and sisters and alongside Christ, our brother. Uh, We are intended to experience both God's affection and his authority, not either or. We are supposed to come with both and receive both. And we are meant to understand that God is not impotent. Prayer actually matters. Prayer is powerful. I think that's enough to bake our noodle for today. That's enough to bake my noodle for today. That's enough to change the way I pray. That's enough for me this week to pray with new and fresh passion, uh, to picture myself Uh, before uh, my shepherd father who adores me. To hear from him what I need to hear and to hear that he loves me as he says it. So that's where we are. So I'm just gonna pray into this for just a moment and uh, we'll uh, we'll finish up. Father, I ask that you would uh, bake our noodles here. I ask that you would shift our paradigm. I ask that you would enable us to see you in perfect good authority, not the imperfect authority that I have shown as a dad, but your perfect authority and to show uh, and to experience you and your love. Allow me to enter into prayer experiencing uh, oneness with all of my brothers and sisters, a uh, oneness with you and with your Holy Spirit. Allow me to enter into prayer with an expectation of your hand moving in great power. great might do not let me be a pagan prayer Uh, cause me to be uh, a genuine authentic intimate passionate child of yours as i pray i pray this for all of my brothers and sisters at ovv that we would uh, have our paradigm shifted You change uh, how we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.